welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 16th, 2022. This week, we've now renamed this podcast Streevy. I'm Kim Hollis, newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club. I hope that doesn't mean you're bleeding. <laughs> Not right this moment. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> also, Tim Brighty, writer and gamer, wishing the weather would make up its mind. Uh, apologies for my voice more so than usual in this episode because of the, all the stupid allergies. You sound great. Aw, thanks. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and entertainment media analyst, and someone who may go shopping tomorrow for a new HD freebie. Doesn't that sound like a weird Pornhub competitor? <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's checking repeatedly that the recording light is on. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> this is recorded? Oh, oh God. Oh, I, uh-oh. Well, at least this is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> In our rapid fire this week, the streaming landscape continues to change rapidly. CNN Plus reportedly only has 10,000 daily users. Is that is that good? No? <laughs> no? Oh, I think boy. that many people live in, in our subdivision. Oh, dear. When you're looking up at Quibi, you're in trouble. And I say this because Quibi confirmed the equivalent of 43,000 daily users. Quibi! The biggest issue with CNN Plus is that CNN has a connotation of news. It is a news network. And the one thing you cannot get on CNN Plus is news. What you can get is cooking shows, travel shows, history shows. And where else can you get cooking shows, travel shows, history shows? Oh, that's right. Every other streaming service that exists. But also the one that owns CNN, Discovery. Discovery oh. Plus. Oh, oh dear. Why does CNN Plus exist? Right. That's what I thought. It's not that it's bad content. You get the Anthony Bourdain stuff. You get the 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 comedy series that CNN has done. I expect that you probably get that Cold War miniseries, which was just spectacular when they did it back in the, was it late 90s? But all of that stuff together does not warrant a streaming service. It should have been on HBO Max years ago, and it wasn't. For sure, people wondered, oh, where can I watch that archival CNN stuff that they've had forever? But now that it's out, it's it does not warrant existing on an independent, separate streaming service. It should be rolled into HBO Max, or now more likely now that Warner Brothers Discovery is a thing, it, it's probably just going to find itself onto Discovery+. Plus. CNN Plus exists for a very simple reason, and that is to generate revenue. There was never a justification for creating it beyond that. And we've known that this whole time. And we've also known it should have been delayed. The instant we ran into a situation with Zucker where he couldn't work for the company anymore, his passion project, the thing he'd been personally assigned, was always going to collapse. So this is another one of the things like if we rewind, HBO Max launched when it wasn't ready and then it spent the body of, what, 18 months finally getting up to speed. If CNN Plus survives that long, that's kind of its best case scenario. But I question whether or not there is the demand for this. 
this. They basically said they think they can do what Fox has done with their content, but the difference is one's a cult and one is just people curious about news. And so it's easier to monetize one than the other. I would say that when there is breaking news, I suspect that some of these CNN Plus subscribers pull up their CNN Plus app expecting that they're going to see some live coverage of it. It's it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there largely because of carriage restrictions and obligations to cable companies. But that is probably going to deter a lot of people from continuing their subscription. What I do want to add on top of that is that CNN Plus is $5.99 a month. Apple TV Plus, that'll get you the Academy Award winning movie Coda and Ted Lasso is $4.99 a month. The math isn't there. I don't see why anyone would be paying $5.99 a month for CNN Plus. Over at Disney, CEO Bob Chappick's tenure continues to be overshadowed by his missteps, culminating in his poor handling of the Florida don't say gay legislation. Kim, you and I talk about this a great deal. Obviously, I talk about Disney for a living and you feel like this was the beginning of the end for Bob Chappick, don't you? I do. I think that this is a situation where he misread his audience. He misread Disney fans. His employees. His employees, everything very, very severely. He didn't recover quickly. And even though he has since then come back and condemned the bill and and everything that goes with it, now he's at war with the governor of Florida. And he got played for a chump, quite frankly, came out and said that he'd arranged for a meeting with the governor and they were going to talk it through. And then the governor said, oh, no, I never talked to anybody. He just doesn't look like he can navigate difficult political situations. And I know they want to stay out of politics, but you can't always. He doesn't look like he has the ability to navigate that well. I'm going to bring this back into the streaming conversation, and I'm going to do that with something I heard some analysts say about Bob Chappick. Ultimately, he is the CEO of a corporation, and so long as that corporation makes money for its shareholders, they're going to put up with a lot of missteps. The context here has to do with whether Chappick can continue to make money for shareholders or whether somebody else could do a better job of it. And more specifically, since the only thing that Wall Street really seems to care about these days is streaming and subscriber numbers, I have to tie this to one of the largest number of Disney Plus subscribers, and that is people in India who subscribe to Disney Plus through Hotstar. They are Disney Plus subscribers almost as an afterthought. They subscribe to Hotstar because of the Indian Cricket Premier League, and the rights to the Indian Cricket Premier League are up for grabs. There is about to be a bidding war for those rights. And if Disney does not get those rights renewed, if those rights go to somebody else, and that somebody else right now, the other big bidder right now is Amazon, and Amazon's got deep pockets as well. If Amazon gets it and Disney doesn't, not only does Disney not hit their subscriber numbers for Disney+, Plus, their numbers are probably actually going to go 
down, not not flatline, but in fact, go down. And if that happens, you, you can write off Bob Chappick. He's done. If they do get those rights, then at least they can expect to continue that modest growth and then pad that growth in other ways, like merging Hulu into Disney Plus and, and keep throwing original content, theatrical movies onto Disney Plus. These little things here and there add up and bring in the forecast astronomical growth that that Disney has for Disney Plus. But if they cannot, as a baseline, renew that Indian Premier League cricket contract, then Chappick is as good as gone. He's got until the next shareholders meeting, which I believe is in 10 to 11 months. And by then we will know well and truly whether Disney Plus has hit those projected numbers or not. And if they haven't, that shareholders meeting will be when we say goodbye to Bob Chappick and say hello to the next Disney CEO. I'm going to disagree with you slightly in that he doesn't have the 11 months until the next shareholders meeting. His contract expires on February 28th. But let's be honest, it's never going to reach that point. They're going to make a decision on Bob Chappick during the fourth quarter of this year. And at this point, it is trending wrong for him because I've always referred to him as a wartime consigliere, which actually, frankly, given world circumstances, feels a bit distasteful. But my thought process here is Disney threw him out and said, all right, we've got a pandemic. Do with the best you can do and maybe we'll keep you. I'm not sure it was ever their long term plan for him to be the guy anyway. It causes problems for them when he is feuding with Hollywood, as happened with Scarlett Johansson, with the media, which happens every time there's a Disney story right now, and with both political parties, which he is. He has somehow managed to take a position that is so wishy-washy that he's getting hit from the left and the right. Even if all of that were okay, though, you have to have the respect and trust of your employees. And Disney employees have been for a generation now, and that's important, an entire generation under the stewardship of Bob Iger, a master politician who, as a reminder, would have run for president if Fox and Rupert Murdoch hadn't said, if we're going to sell you these assets, you can't run for president. That was their end game was to keep him out of politics. He's that good at it. Chappick is the opposite of that. He is the proverbial Homer Simpson type who can't beat a chicken at a game of checkers when it comes to political intrigue. So we've got a very, very shaky situation here where he has lost the trust of his people. And Kim, you just don't think he can get it back. Is that right? Because I kind of tend to agree with Raul that if the numbers improve, he could save it. You don't think that's going to matter, do you? I don't. I think he is damaged. And just as you said, he's he's made both sides angry. And that's really hard to do these days. When you've got your employees in a time when it's hard to retain good talent and they're mad at you, you're putting the company in a tough spot. And that applies all the way up the chain to, you know, those involved with the streaming service too and the talent impact some of that, you've really caused a lot of problems downstream. I feel like he's sitting and waiting for it to blow over. I don't think it's really going to blow over. 
it really doesn't seem to have taken many steps recently to mend fences. I haven't heard much. What I have heard from Disney recently in the last week, in fact, they posted some very, very strong theme park numbers. So on that front, at least, Traffic is doing well with shareholders. But at the same time, you have to look at the upcoming summer season and consumers. And after two years of uh, not going to Disney parks, as people start flooding back to the Disney parks, people are going to start realizing that the ticket prices, the hotel prices have really, really gone through the roof. They're starting to really price themselves out of some markets. Some people who are hardcore Disney fans just cannot go to Disneyland and Walt Disney World anymore. And I wonder if that's going to alienate a lot of the Disney fans as well. You're talking about the fans there, but let me be clear because I know this mathematically, empirically. They're having issues where they do not have enough supply to meet demand, which means that for all the people complaining, oh, it's gotten too expensive, Disney is turning people away, for lack of better terminology. It is tougher right now than I can ever recall to book advanced dining reservations, to schedule park passes, which are relatively new, but there are an additional obstacle Disney has created to actually control demand some. It is that extreme. So when people complain about that, I'm like... I track that data all the time, and there is just nothing to support the notion people aren't coming to Disney. Maybe some customers aren't coming. Disney is making the decision, though, well, those are the low-paying customers. We won't miss them anyway. Is that a mistake? Long-term, absolutely, because there will inevitably be a tourism decline at some point. But for right now, he's making the right business decisions when it comes to the parks. As a matter of fact, I, I ran these numbers a, a few days ago. Disney could theoretically earn 18 billion more this fiscal year than last year. And even with those numbers, Chappick seems like he's standing in quicksand. It's remarkable how you can do this well financially and still come across as someone who is, frankly, in over your head. I have to say that Disney fandom is generational. And if mom and dad can't take little Billy and, and Beth to Walt Disney World now at these prices, then maybe when Billy and Beth grow up, they're not going to be taking their kids to Walt Disney World either. I really feel they're eventually going to price themselves. There's going to be that tipping point. I mean, you know it. You can get a million people to pay $1 for entrance to a theme park, or you can get one person to pay a million dollars. It still gets you the same amount of money, but eventually that one person is not there anymore and then nobody's paying you anything to get into that theme park. Yeah, but let's be clear about the fact that indoctrination has never been an issue with Disney. With Disney Plus doing what it is, that's an entire generation of children raised with Disney stories. Whether they go to the parks or not, they're still going to be aware of the fact that there are Disney theme parks out there and they're going to want to go. So it's going to become an aspirational thing. This is a conversation that seems to crop up. It's cyclical. I'd say every five to six years, the stories come out along these lines. And yet, if you look for demonstrations that there is a negative impact, impact, you just can't find them. Disney does a remarkable job of always creating later demand for Disney. And while some are ready to write off streaming as a passing trend of the pandemic, other analysts are looking at Netflix and saying 222 million subscribers. Why not 700 million? There, 
there is a finite number of people on Earth. I, I read an analysis this week that said that there's as many as 700 million people who subscribe to streaming services. And when Netflix only has 222 million of those, they have lots of upward potential. They're saying that Netflix could triple their subscriber numbers. I don't know if that's really feasible. But I guess there's still plenty of opportunity for growth, and that's going to make Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos very happy. I think that dip they took and the fact that their stock plummeted as much as it as it did was very temporary. And what we need to be looking at is not really the quote unquote end of the pandemic and people no longer watching streaming. What we want to be looking at in, in terms of trends is people abandoning traditional, linear, over-the-air cable and satellite watching and moving to on-demand watching through streaming services. That's really the future. That's really what's going to be happening. The, the, the time when you turn on a TV to look to see, hey, what's on right now is going to be ending very soon. And it's going to be instead, you're going to be turning it on and say, hey, what shows are available for me to watch at this moment? And in that context, Netflix has the largest library of content out there and they continue to produce original content. So there is evidently 500 million people out there on earth who pay for streaming, who do not pay for Netflix. They're probably going to become Netflix subscribers at some point in the future. Raul, something you're discussing here, it just makes me feel like there is a Rorschach inkblot aspect to when you look at Netflix, it is all what you see and how you interpret it. And there isn't a finite answer because some analysts obsess on the fact that Netflix has not done a good job of creating IP, which we'll all agree it hasn't. So they're going to have to keep paying a lot of money for content, whereas other places have backbones. They have infrastructure of IP that they can rely on. Even HBO Max has that. With Netflix, they're just, you know, stranger things. And <laughs> that's about it. I mean, I, I know we're joking. They're, they're many more, but there are only a few that seem like A-list Bridgerton types. And then you have other people who are looking like it doesn't matter. Netflix can afford to pay for the content. So why can't Netflix explode because everybody wants to watch this? I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer right now. I just think it's interesting how diversified the opinions are. You're touching on something that's very important here. And that's the fact that Netflix content essentially its life ends when the original production of episodes ends. People can still become new consumers of Stranger Things 10 years from now, at long after the series has ended, but there is no new Stranger Things content. There is no Stranger Things theme parks or toys or books or comics. It all essentially revolves around the fact that Stranger Things is new and fresh so long as Netflix continues making episodes. That's entirely different than what Disney, of course, is doing with all their IP, their Disney characters, their Star Wars characters, their Marvel characters. It's even different than what HBO is doing with their DC characters or uh, what exists with the Harry Potter characters. That is much broader than just if there's a new Harry Potter movie that's fresh and new, but the moment that movie ends,
then suddenly the existence of that in the zeitgeist goes away. But that is exactly what is weighing Netflix down. They need to expand well beyond simply creating episodes to keep things in the zeitgeist. And that's that's what they're doing here with the we're now getting into video games. Although still, that, that has been very, very tentative. I, I just don't see them making big pushes there. But then they also need to be getting out into like books and, and licensing for toys. There is like a Netflix store out there and you can go buy like Stranger Things merch. So they, they're they getting it a little bit. I think they have a clue, but they really need to be pushing hard into this larger ecosystem of more than just fresh new episodes every few months until the series dies and, and really getting into a, a larger holistic approach to their IP. When I look at Netflix and their lack of IP, I keep just expanding it a few years down the road. And I start wondering, how do they survive the metaverse if they don't have IP as an infrastructure, a backbone? Exactly. And that's where I think they are just now starting to get a clue because, yeah, I mean, even as I mentioned Stranger Things, I realize they are starting to branch out and they're starting to make that merge and they're making those video games. They, they're starting to do some licensing out there. Another example of how they're starting to get it is the fact that they bought the Roll Doll license, the entire library of content. Everything that is Roll Doll belongs to Netflix now. And that is, it's it's books and movies and toys and licensing. I think we can start expecting to see a lot more of that moving forward. Now, a metaverse where you get to play Willy Wonka is not necessarily the most catchy thing out there, but I think that was just a, an initial tentative step into a broader future for them. I think ultimately what they need to do is by a much larger collection of IP. And we're starting to see now with Kevin Meyer amassing IP collections into a single studio. As an example, uh, we see that with Paramount maybe putting themselves up for sale. There is opportunities out there and buying up one of these large collections of IP, I think is going to be the way that Netflix moves past that 220 million subscribers into a much even larger number of subscribers. I mean, it's not like it's not like 220 million is small. It is a larger streaming service out there by a considerable amount. But Netflix needs to be looking to see how do they sustain their growth. And they're going to have to do that by having their own original intellectual property IP and leaning into that IP a lot more. People seem to really like intellectual property content a lot more than original content, which is why all the big movies out there these days are sequels. Finally, submitted without comment, Amazon is rebranding IMDb TV to Amazon Freebie. <laughs> well, no, no one knew what Amazon, uh, IMDb TV was anyway, so this is just kind of a lateral move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to take anything away from IMDb, it's a great resource on the web, especially for us movie nerds. But when they branded something IMDb TV, first it begged the question, like, how does that tie into IMDb at all? And the answer was, it doesn't. And second, it really didn't tell you at all what it was. At least when you call this free V, they're they're clearly telling you this is free video, which is exactly what it is. Wait, it wait, is- wait, I, I got to challenge that. They're clearly telling you? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's got the word free in it. It's free something, right? It's got the the letter V in it, which could mean anything that starts with a V. That's not clear. <laughs> All right. Still a better name than IMDb TV, I'd say. 
this is the dumbest na- you know what i'm not going to say any swears but if you're doing a book called it escape from the boardroom this is what it looks like this is a bad idea and there were meetings about this and this was the best thing they could come up with and if you're an executive and this has your name on it i am looking at you right now and i'm wondering why exactly are we paying you I would have argued that they lean into the Prime Video brand, maybe call it Prime Video Free or simply create a free tier on Prime Video. The fact that they continue to insist on having two separate streaming services is absurd to me, especially when coupled with the fact that the Amazon Prime Video interface and platform is so archaic unto itself. It's not good. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how I'm supposed to be getting to Prime Video. I usually just go to amazon.com in my browser and I search for a title and see if it comes up along with the DVDs and Blu-rays I can buy. Also, you can watch it on streaming and and, and then that's how I get into Prime Video. It's Is, is that what I'm supposed to be doing, guys? Yeah, yeah nobody knows. <laughs> If I were an NPC in a video game right now, there would be a question mark over my head when you ask that question because there's no answer and my character would know that. We we can keep talking about this and I mean, we're going to because it's a laughing stock, but the only thing that gives me pause in this entire discussion, we would have laughed the same way and did about sci-fi changing its spelling to S-Y-F-I. I think history has shown that was stupid, but I can kind of understand it. You know, it probably helps with their search engine optimization. We also would have said the same thing about Freeform. What are your thoughts? Did Freeform, is that viable or is that just, it doesn't matter what the name is. We know what Freeform is. I don't know. I think ABC Family was a good brand. They were leveraging the known brand of ABC and adding the word family, suggesting that this is family-friendly content. Freeform really was a pivot towards, I think, maybe a fresh, hip brand. And no one ever likes it when you rebrand something to be fresh and hip. Yeah, they wanted shows that were no longer really that family-friendly, so they had to do something. But yeah, I don't know that Freeform was ever the right call, and I don't know if people still know what Freeform really is. We'll be right back at this conversation in six months. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) I, I don't know that this one actually makes it into commercial use. Yeah, it's so bad. Do we actually know the timeline for the implementation? Because I I have to think if something gets laughed at this long, this loud, maybe somebody does something. Apparently, they're they're initially testing it in Germany. So if it's (laughs) if it's successful in Germany, then. Oh, okay. So, so, you're so saying the whole thing depends on the transition Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Not for nothing, but they also in that in making this announcement, they also said that they'd be adding 70% more original content. So, I mean, good. I guess. Yeah, when uh, what do we got on there right now? We got the new Judge Judy show. We got the Bosch spinoff and uh, we got that uh, heist show that you guys seem to leverage like a lot. Yes. Yeah. Leverage is there. Yeah. I mean, they have a couple of things, but yeah. Oh, if they doubled their content, that'd be 100 percent more shows. So (laughs) I I guess we're only getting two more original shows. (laughs) Okay, Tim, 
would you like to take us into the ratings or would you also like to talk about Morbius? No, we don't need to talk about Morbius anymore. That's <laughs> that. We don't talk about, about Morbius. Morbius. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, you know, we recorded on Friday, so we only had a, a Thursday number, but last week in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, $72.1 million. That's, that's actually better than the first movie did, which opened a month before the world shut down. Oh my. Sega. So, yes. So, it's Jim Carrey's biggest opening ever. It, it's all because of Knuckles. <laughs> Knuckles. Yes. They really should have just called this one Sonic and Knuckles and it would have, it, it would have done probably even better. But... But yeah, that's that's really good. I really think that Jim Carrey guy is gonna is gonna have a great career. <laughs> he's an, yeah, he's he's an up and comer. Look out for that one. Uh, but yeah, no, it's that that's remarkable. That that the fact that a movie can a franchise actually can can do better uh, in this environment than you know the, the before times really. And this weekend we have uh, yeah, fa- Fantastic Beasts, the third whatever, whatever it's called, uh, w- Wizard <laughs> Book. Is it actually Dumbledore. called Fantastic Beasts, whatever? Because I would what, love whatever. That. Yeah, with Dumbledore. Yeah, that, yes, Dumbledore. Yes. Uh, the spinoff of you know Wizard Book Ladies franchise. Uh, Six million on Thursday. I don't think the second no one warranted Sonic. enough. I mean, they they had they had this one penciled in already. I I don't think that the poor performance of the second one warranted continuing it, but I think they were kind of already committed to it. So here we are. They still want to make more, but this really should, based on what happens this weekend, really should be the the nail in the coffin for this franchise, please. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's all that's all that's interesting in box office at the moment. But yeah, let's look at ratings. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, March 14th to Sunday, March 20th, 2022. And the top original show is still The Last Kingdom, uh, 1.3 billion minutes for 46 episodes. Still good. Uh, still are bad for uh, missing the boat on this one actually existing. Seriously. To, yeah. But hey, good, you know, good, good job, Netflix. I don't think we really have anything else to say about this one. No, other we than don't. we're actually surprised at how how popular it was. Uh, the numbers do drop a bit, but it's still. Uh, I think this is an interesting week on two of the three charts. In second, Bad Vegan, Fame, Fraud, Fugitives, uh, mm. six hundred nine million minutes for four episodes. I I don't quite get why they the subtitle was actually part of the title there. Bad Vegan is <laughs> kind of good enough as it is. That would yes. that would have peaked that 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 the title alone piqued my interest because I remember talking about that on What's New and I was like, what did they mm-hmm. did they eat meat? Did they drink milk what happened what makes them a bad vegan exactly but i guess it goes beyond that when you add in those uh those other three three words there if you're a bad vegan do you still tell everyone about it no no okay is that maybe that what makes you a bad vegan you don't tell everyone you're a vegan? Okay. you especially don't tell people about it if you're a bad vegan. <laughs> uh, but yeah that is just a three-day number so that might be actually that i I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember if something's coming next week, but I actually wouldn't be surprised to see that being the the top show because I don't. I know people were definitely talking about that after they had watched uh, Inventing Anna a bunch. They basically moved on to to, to this one mm-hmm. when it came out. So yeah, I think that'll take a, quite a jump next week. I saw it trending like crazy. So yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of, in third is still Inventing Anna, five hundred ninety eight million minutes for its nine episode season. Like I said, I say this most of the time with these these shows, but it is interesting when something pops like this, just the the gradual slide it, it takes down. So uh, the list is people just, I guess, just through word of mouth, or they just mm-hmm. they go with the trending, or they and they just they they give in and, and they watch it, even if it takes them you know a few weeks or up to a month. 
Uh, and fourth, Pieces of Her, 583 million minutes for eight episodes. That's been here for a couple of weeks now. That's that's fine. Fifth, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now with its season complete, 482 million minutes for 34 episodes. This one, again, from Amazon. That's a little down a little bit from last week, which is typically what happens when the show re- shows release week to week. We get that small jump the week the finale hits. And then after that, it does take a small a small drop and then slides down the, the chart. So we'll probably see it for the next you know, few weeks. But yeah, its peak was when it premiered the the finale. This is fun though. New in six. Is it cake? 477 million minutes for eight episodes. We knew it'd be here right after uh, even just talking about it on, on what's new that week. We're like, this this show sounds like people will watch this. This is so stupid. But it, yeah, and I have more to say on it later, actually. But yeah, I am very happy to to, to see it here. And again, just a three-day number premiered on, on the 14th. So I do expect this one to jump next week and then you know probably fall off very quickly. But I'm, I am happy to see it here. Yeah, given how it became so viral so rapidly, I'm expecting exactly the same thing. It's it's probably going to be huge numbers next week, and then flash in a pan, it'll it'll die yeah. almost immediately. Yeah, I don't I don't know again what's coming next week, but yeah, my my prediction is bad vegan one is a cake two, and then two weeks later is a cake isn't even on the list anymore. But I do hope they keep making more. It was it, it was fun. I am 100% certain they will do more. And the reason why is I can tell you that this week, Is It Cake has still been one of the top shows on Netflix every day I've looked. It has had remarkable staying power. And if you think about it, this is kind of the content Netflix dreams about having because it is the most basic premise. It is dirt cheap to do. Mm-hmm. And it is engaging because we would have those episodes on and Kim would just be like, it's one. No, it's three. (laughs) It is. You're you're like, like, no, that can't possibly be. Yep. Uh, Again, I have yell at the screen television and that's what they need. Yes. Oh, okay. Something else new in seventh life after death with Tyler Henry, 457 million minutes watched for nine episodes. Um, no. Yeah. This is this, this can't be real, right? This, this guy's, this, this, this guy's a fraud. Yes. No. I mean, surely. I can't tell you until after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll table it for now, then get back to us later. And then we wrap up originals with some stuff we've seen before. Eighth is Love is Blind, also from Netflix, 416 million minutes, 25 episodes. Upload from Amazon, 359 million minutes for 17 episodes. They had dropped the whole season the previous week. So this is the first full full week of it down a little bit but still here so that's that's good to see from uh, from amazon and 10th ozark maybe for the last time for a couple weeks 304 million minutes for 37 episodes again about to return with a vengeance when the second half of the second season hits at the end of this month so in movies and yep your number one movie still turning red uh over 1.6 billion minutes for its first full week Yay, right? Yay. Yay. Does does now does this I, I guess we, we need more time, but does these first couple numbers justify moving it to Disney Plus rather than than theaters? Because that, that almost felt like we was like, did they look at the Encanto numbers and go like, okay, ho- holy crap, we need to put this on 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 streaming or was it at the time when this news came out, which was early January, there was this big COVID surge and and it was questionable as to whether people would go to theaters. Is Was this justified? That's what I was going to say. I feel like this one will always come with an asterisk because if they had just delayed it instead, they could have released it. I mean, really any yeah, point. They could have released it in, they could have released it in March actually, but right. Exactly. If they had just delayed it a little bit, but at the time there was definitely a, here we go again, because the numbers were just yes. exploding. 
breathing. People, yep. you know, don't really think about it now because in a lot of places you're walking around without a mask all the time. But we're only about 90 days removed from some of the worst numbers of the entire pandemic. So life mm-hmm. came at Disney fast here. And I think you're absolutely correct that they have a little bit of buyer's remorse because they know it's a good and charming movie. And I'm afraid it's not going to have the staying power of something like Soul, much less Encanto, which is so regrettable because, I mean, Kim, it's just a perfect movie, isn't it? It is incredibly charming. I don't know if Disney regrets this, though. It's still there. It's doing well. They've got that and the Encanto story kind of having them dominate the headlines. It's good for Disney Plus and, you know, it makes for good headlines and kids are loving it. You see the toys now everywhere. They're going to make a lot of money off of that. So. Yeah, I feel like it's okay. I think Disney has created for themselves this expectation from consumers that there has to be some kind of big movie every few months. And in this case, it was Turning Red's turn. It's their way of rewarding subscribers who stay subscribers rather than folks who might sign up to, say, another streaming service for a month, binge everything they need to binge, and then unsubscribe for 11 months. They want people to stay Disney Plus subscribers indefinitely. It's the way they get their money month after month after month instead of, say, when you go to the movie, pay once for a ticket and and that's it. So they have to constantly be releasing something in the same way that the moment a Marvel series ends on Disney Plus, within two weeks, there's another Marvel series. So in this case, they need to be releasing movies like this for children on, on some kind of regular schedule, maybe quarterly, simply so that they can say that there's always going to be that expectation for their consumers that there's going to be a big movie for them to watch. That is absolutely correct. I agree with every word you just said. And also, let me point out, you all heard it. Kim and I do not agree on absolutely everything. So (laughs) there's that. Well, actually, I'm curious when you said you're not sure it had going to have the staying power that soul had and i find funny you mentioned soul rather than the other pixar movie that hung around on this list for months and that was luca luca yep i can't see it doing a luca type performance on like a slightly higher level like having slightly better numbers so it, it is absolutely fair of you to say that in fact in looking at the only information i have at hand right now i think i'm wrong because soul um, didn't i don't think soul hung around for very long at all soul was strong it had a no strong opening yeah Yeah, it's just different things. It's, you know, the marathon versus the sprint. But I'm actually looking at Disney trending right now. Moon Knight is obviously number one because that's Mm -hmm. their buzzy show. But Turning Red is actually second, which leads me to believe that, you know, we're a month down the road. I think I've got this one wrong. I actually think that it does have more staying power than I expected just when I was talking a couple of minutes ago. And meanwhile, we actually don't have to wait long for the next Pixar movie because that that's light year and that's in June. I find that super interesting that we're getting uh, these Pixar movies practically back to back. And this mm-hmm. one will be in theaters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They will <laughs> they will not put this one on uh, unless something absolutely drastic happens, which I don't think is too likely at this point. But yeah, this one will definitely be in theaters and will do very well. All right. So also still in second from last week, here's The Atom Project, 1.3 billion minutes. Sure, Ryan Reynolds, king of streaming. <laughs> At least this week, I guess. Uh, and in third, still here, is Encanto, 827 million minutes. Now, we don't know if this includes the, the sing-along, which was added to, to Disney+. Plus. Uh, it, it's super hard to tell with these numbers because that's pretty close to what it was last week. So we don't think they're counting it as a separate as a separate show. 
but if, if they were, it kind of maybe split the audience because it, it still held pretty well. I mean, no matter what, three months into its release, that is a lot of people watching that's this still, movie. Yeah, that is. That's that's still on most weeks, probably last year, probably I'd have to go through the whole list for, for the year. It'd take me a while, but 827 million would probably be the number one movie and the vast majority of those because the movie chart tends to unless something new hits and is new and shiny for a week it does not have that usually big numbers like that and again two movies over two movies over a billion minutes again and then things get a little strange but there's also some 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 surprises here uh in fourth we have a walk among the tombstones 420 million minutes yes this is the 2014 liam neeson movie where he just started making movies that you know take in ripoffs not the weirdest one this week, uh, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. We do have, we have some some 2022 content here because in fifth is Rescued by Ruby, 306 million minutes. Did we even mention this one? We did. We did. Okay. This is a, oh, it's about a, a movie with a, with, with a dog. So, okay. I mm-hmm. can I can see why it's here because, you know, those tend to tend to do well. Yeah. This one stars, uh, what's his name from The Flash? The Good Flash, not the Bad <laughs> Flash. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Grant Gustin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That seems like a backhanded indictment of Warner Brothers and all his fans. Right <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in six, also new and, and actually a 2022 movie, Black Crab, 271 million minutes. This is, I know we talked about that. This is uh, New Me Repace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, conveniently enough, a Swedish movie, action thriller. She's a speed skater and she's. Joining a, a team of soldiers. So I wonder if it involves, <laughs> involves the skating involved at some point. <laughs> what, a, he, what a silly concept. Okay. The duration, the duration of the movie actually takes place on, uh, on the surface of a frozen lake. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. It does. <laughs> Meanwhile, even more 2022 content on the list this week is in seventh from Disney Plus, Cheaper by the Dozen, 242 million minutes. This is the re-remake of the that family film. This one has Zach Braff. Based on what I saw with the trending, it seems like it will have a three-week staying power, and then after that, it kind of vanishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe... You know, a slight jump or a similar number next week, and then we'll from there we'll we'll see. In eighth is Shrek. We've seen that for a couple weeks now because that's this one came back to Netflix in in the beginning of March. Two hundred twenty-eight million minutes. Uh, something else new though. Uh, in ninth, Deep Water from Hulu, uh, but only two hundred six million minutes. I guess people just can only take so much of Ben Affleck, even though this one has Ana de Armas. Yep, I guess if everyone had watched it all the way through, it'd have over five hundred minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone was excited this, for this movie because of, well, out of the Armas. And then they started watching it, and I don't think anyone liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they watched as long as they could, as long as they could take it, and then that, that, that's enough. That was it. Okay, that was it. Yep. I had it explained to me, and it kind of made my teeth hurt just listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> and we wrap things up with another weird one. So, like, if it's the beginning of the month and we're discussing the movies that are that are seem odd, odd and out of place, it does make sense that that they had just returned to Netflix at the beginning. When it's the middle of the month, I have no clue because here is London has fallen 199 million minutes. Why? Not not even sure. Olympus has not even the first one. Olympus has fallen. Is like, this the better one? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, and they made a third one. 
and and then supposedly they're they're still planning on making more somehow. I don't know how. I think Dwight Butler's character is just going to be bad bad luck at this point because all these things keep <laughs> happening wherever he goes. How will anyone know what's happening in this one if they haven't watched the first one? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Ironically, the third one actually did slightly better than London Has Fallen. Angel Has Fallen made about seven million more than London Has Fallen. So you you, you got me. Uh, so meanwhile, in Acquired, it's 10 shows we've seen before. This week, led by NCIS, 135 million minutes. Not too much to talk about this week. Good Girls, which was the top show last week, is still here. But in third, 689 million minutes, which is basically what I had predicted, I Thought I noticed that it for some reason premiered in the middle of the week and not on Friday, so that wasn't a three-day number. It was representing the majority of the week, so I figured it would take a, a small, small drop. And yeah, that's essentially what it did. I don't know how long it'll hang around. Last time we saw the show, it it was only here for a few weeks and then and vanished till the new season had hit last week. And it seems like that will happen again. And then while we may actually never see it again because the show has been canceled. Yep. If they don't expand on that good girls universe and uh, launch that good girls theme park, we're never going to see it again. (laughs) So actually, uh, I have one question that just occurred to me because I mentioned that I was watching the live baseball on uh, Apple TV Plus last week, and I have it again on on mute this week. Is there a chance that since you know these ratings count Apple TV Plus, if enough people watch it, this could show up under original content? I assume it would take a lot of people to watch a baseball game, and since it's only one one viewing, but would they count the individual game, or would they count because they do have two games, or would they just count people who watch watch baseball? That is, is an excellent question. That's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Let's say they get a million viewers for a three-hour game. That's 180 million minutes. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, that's only the ones like on Nielsen. So right. it, it seems ambitious for me for that to happen. But I don't know if the system even allows for that because where would you put it? Original, acquired, or movies? <laughs> Wouldn't be movies, but yeah, which one would it go on? Right. Right. So it's 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 a fantastic question. And I think the answer is we don't f-ing know. And unfortunately, I suspect that Nielsen's answer would also be they don't f-ing know. <laughs> they seem to make things up as they go, which is unfortunate. But yeah, as we start seeing more live original content coming up on the streaming platforms, as an example, the upcoming season of Dancing with the Stars will have live episodes on Disney Plus. Where does that go if it actually ranks? I guess Dancing with the Stars would show up in originals. Originals, yeah. Does baseball qualify as originals? And like you said, if if there's a baseball game today and baseball, not exactly a great example because they only have the Friday night games. But what if they had baseball every day of the week? Do they add up or is it just individual episodes? No idea. Yeah. And since we're completely expecting something like NFL Sunday ticket to be picked up by you know Apple or Amazon in the next couple of years, that has a much higher viewership, I would imagine, than than, than baseball, especially if it it I bet you know there's more people obviously subscribe to these streaming services than there are the NFL Sunday ticket through through DirecTV. So that there's a legit possibility that could have enough you know viewing to make make the ratings, but it'd be curious if they just count it as people who watch football or or an individual game. And say or like I said, if the Super Bowl was on a real streaming service, you know, not not Peacock. 
how how well could, could that have done? Just toss this out there, but two of Disney's three streaming services, Disney Plus and Hulu, get ranked on the Nielsen's. One that doesn't is ESPN Plus. Is ESPN Plus not ranked because Disney doesn't want it to be ranked? Because Nielsen doesn't know how to rank it? Is there some limitations to how the uh, leagues want their numbers showing up on, on streaming platforms? There is live content on ESPN Plus all the time. And if that was also being metered by Nielsen, where would that be showing up? Again, no idea. Yeah, just uh, something that just just occurred to me. So I, I thought I'd, I'd throw that out there. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I've got for for this week. And yeah, I'm looking to see my predictions for next week. Are the most watched original show, Bad Vegan, and then right behind it is a cake. That's all I got. <laughs> In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix is fleshing out the cast of the Millie Bobby Brown and Angela Bassett fantasy movie, Damsel, adding Robin Wright and Ray Winston. Don't really know what to make of this yet, but that is a pretty strong cast. And heck, the last time I saw Robin Wright in a fantasy movie, it was pretty damn good. Pretty all right. Yes, it was. Fans of HBO Max's Winning Time will be glad to hear that it's been renewed for season two. Yay! Better known by David as that L.A. Lakers show on HBO. (laughs) That's all you need to know about it. (laughs) Another DC comic is going to series as HBO Max has picked up Dead Boy Detectives, about two dead British teenagers and their very alive friend. HBO and HBO Max have really been focusing on these fringe fantasy and alternate titles from DC a lot. You you saw that, for example, when they licensed Sweet Tooth to Netflix. These aren't what you generally expect when you're talking about DC comics. And that's a lot more like, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. Although we are getting some of that now as well. What we heard coming out of Warner Brothers Discovery is that the leadership at this new company is very underwhelmed with what DC has been doing with their mainstream properties. As one of them pointed out, that they have Superman, for God's sakes. Lean into that a little bit, maybe. So the fact that we're seeing a lot of these fantasy titles being made into series is, is maybe something that's very short term. And we're going to be seeing a lot more superhero content coming out of DC and HBO Max in the next few months. And HBO Max may have found their Wonder Twins in Riverdale's KJ Appa and 1883's Isabel May. You wonder what the audience is for this. In this case, it is a lot more in the vein of the DC superhero contents, but it is set up to be comedic in style. I don't know that any of the fans of the DC superhero characters are going to want to watch this. Maybe it's going to skew a lot more kid-friendly. We'll see. But then again, I never expected that people were going to find Peacemaker all that interesting, and that one turned out to be quite a surprise. Over at Apple TV Plus, Tom Hanks is really enjoying his work with the streamer. His production company, Playtone, has signed a deal with them, including another World War II miniseries called Masters of the Air about American bomber crews, as well as a sequel to the movie Greyhound. Tom Hanks is quickly becoming your grandfather's favorite movie creator. <laughs> <laughs> 
National Treasure fans will be excited to know that a star of the movies will be appearing in the series. That's right. Justin Bartha's Riley Poole will guest star in Disney Plus's National Treasure. Kim, just because it makes me laugh, how does the world know Justin Bartha? He's the guy whose wedding they're celebrating in The Hangover. That's, That's right. right. He's the blackout guy in The Hangover. That is his <laughs> biggest claim to fame. So it's shocking he was available for production of this. <laughs> For those of you who have watched National Treasure, there's Nicolas Cage, there's The Girl, and there's The Sidekick. This is The Sidekick. And Peacock is working on a live action series based on Casper, the friendly ghost. Dig up, stupid. (laughs) Honestly. Their biggest IP franchise to date was the fact that they were going to be making a Pitch Perfect series. (laughs) They followed that up with Casper. Yeah. Yeah. Just reboot Parks and Rec at this point, just to hold us over. (laughs) Let's talk about what's been keeping us busy this past week, and I guarantee it was not Peacock. For me, it was, well, I watched an episode of Severance, and it's intriguing. I'll definitely keep watching. They actually use Adam Scott's sort of not likability to their advantage in this one. And then we also watch Trust No One, The Hunt for the Crypto King, which is a Netflix documentary about a person who started a place where people could trade crypto that was called Quadriga. And at some point he shows up dead, but people don't believe he's dead and so on and so forth. And it's got a lot of twists and turns. Uh, I don't know if the payoff is great, but it was interesting to watch at least. Raul, how about you? I actually had this whole thing written out about having wrapped up the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's latest season. I'll save that for next week because last night I actually finished up the season for HBO Max's Our Flag Means Death. I'd mentioned uh, that I'd started watching those episodes a while back on this segment. Having just wrapped it up last night, I got to say, holy guys, watch this show. Yeah, on on its face, it's a comedy about the wonderfully inept gentleman pirate, Steed Bonnet. Yes, it stars Reese Darby as Bonnet and Taika Waititi as Blackbeard. So it's a comedy, but really, once you scratch below the surface, it's got so much emotional depth. I never expected to have this much emotion come from this series. There are moments throughout the last couple of episodes that literally had me in tears. It's spectacular. The season ended on a cliffhanger and there's some waffling on a, on whether it's going to get renewed, but it seems like it's probably going to happen just as soon as Waititi can clear his schedule. So let's let's hope that happens soon. Awesome. I look forward to watching that. Tim, how about you? I sort of hinted at it in the in the ratings, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago. But is it cake? Is so simultaneously incredibly stupid and just absolute an absolute joy to watch, <laughs> just because you just cannot believe. Like, wait, yeah, as David said, yes, it is. It is yelling at your TV, the show, because you're like that. That's a cake. You're just like you cannot believe that. Like one of these things is that they and these these people are super talented. They're they're definitely some. They found some great personalities. Mikey Dayshtick hasn't completely worn thin with me yet because I haven't finished watching every episode. Uh, but yeah, some people I know couldn't couldn't take it because he's like, and you're not going to believe this, but one of these things 
<laughs> is a cake. It's like, okay, how many times can you do that? But yeah, and his just, you know, his, fa- his fascination with the the whole fondant thing with which actually there's, I think the company that made that stuff is actually pretty near to where um, where I live. I think they were, they're a, a localish company that's that's got gotten pretty big because they they specialize in that stuff. And then the episode where the the bakers attempt to to troll Mikey on like making up making up a term, uh, they should have kept that going longer than than one episode. But yeah, it's it's absolutely worth worth your time. It's it's absolutely fascinating to to watch the process and then the, the judges they bring out. Even though there's you've almost never heard of any of them, they're all they're all fun because they're all just shocked that like at what they're at, at what they're seeing. And some of the cakes actually like look like they taste like amazing too. So yeah, it's it, it's worth <laughs> it. I was happy to see it on the ratings, and yeah, I think it'll do better. Also, the, I didn't did mention the the baseball coverage on, on Apple TV Plus last week. It's fine. One set of the commentators not great. Um, the others were, were okay. Uh, Hunter Pence and Katie Nolan were doing the other game with someone else as the, the lead play-by-play guy and, and they were all right. But the, the other crew, and I don't know any other names, but mm, nah, not, not, not too great. So I'll keep watching it because it's baseball, but they could be better. It does. I am a little spoiled with uh, having excellent radio and TV commentators for for Mets games so I'm a little a little biased but yeah I wasn't thrilled with with what they did but hey it's it's baseball it's it's free you can you don't have to be subscribed to to watch it Tim what percentage of the time would you say you guess correctly about whether it's cake oh like <laughs> maybe 25 <25%. laughs> percent okay <laughs> yeah i would be terrible at this if i was on that show Kim, how about you i would say i was maybe a third of the time so it's not it is not at all easy there was at least one episode of the episodes where the the baker had made some made one glare, glaringly obvious flaw and the judges figured it out too but yeah most of the time it's like they they've fooled everybody and including including me including the judges yeah so it's it's actually a lot harder than it looks depending on the object. It's a lot of fun. David, how about you? Yeah, so we're one episode away from the season finale of Picard, and I have to say I'm still waiting for something to happen. And also, Kim, I think you'll agree, there's been a lot more singing and dancing than we would have expected, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's been a surprising amount of singing and dancing and just unusual choices. It's just weird when they bust out the Pat Benatar, isn't it? Yeah, that was something. Boy, season two sure sounds like it went in a different direction than season one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then I also rewatched Margin Call, which is a really good film from J.C. Chandor, who since became a much more recognizable director for some of his indie stuff. Margin Call is a masterpiece. It is. And it is one of the best cast films you will ever see. At one point, this isn't a joke. Gossip Girl is hanging out with Vision and New Spock while trying to locate Cesar Flickman the host of the Hunger Games. I mean, if you put together the names of the actors involved with this, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And also it is a marvelous critique of Wall Street that feels more apropos today than it did even then. It's basically about CDO swaps, but you don't have to understand any of that to watch it. It's just basically what happens when a company realizes they're screwed financially, how low will they sink to fix it? And if you want to watch Margin Call yourself, it's actually available on Netflix. So I highly recommend it. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.